You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can find notes for this message along with more information about our church by visiting church2911.com. Here's our lead pastor, Rick Hand, with this week's message. That 70s church. Let me start with some stats right here. These aren't from the 1970s. This is from 2019. In the year 2019, y'all remember that far back, right? Some of y'all can't remember 70s, but you can remember 2019. 4,500 Christian churches closed in the United States of America. 4,500. Now, there are stats beyond, beyond that year, but that was our last fully non-COVID year. COVID hit in 2020. Okay, so, so all those numbers are really crazy now. I mean, we don't yet know what the fallout is going to completely be with COVID. All, all the many times that we kept having to shut down services and those kinds of things, you know. We don't know, uh, and, and a lot of people that, that stayed home for church, they never came back. A lot of churches are closing because of that. So we don't even, even know what this, but let me give you some other, uh, some other stats. And these are from uh, Exponential.com, that, that group that did this uh, survey. 70% of churches in the U.S. are declining or plateauing. You don't know what that means? It means they're doing this or they're doing this. 70%, only 30% are growing. And only 7% are actually multiplying. Out of that 30, only 7 and 23 are not even multiplying. Here, here's, here's the difference. If some of them are growing like this, you know, they're growing like this, but the population's growing like this. Only 7% are keeping up with population growth. They're actually producing and staying ahead of what's going on out there as far as growth. So if you, look at, if you look at those numbers as real numbers, you would say, you know, if, if you keep population steady like this, then even those churches other than 7% are growing or, or declining or they're plateaued, just kind of hanging in there with population growth. So what's the reason for this? I'm going to tell you what I think is the reason for this, okay? Here's, here's the thing that I think is the, the reason for this is of those churches that are declining in, in our society, the demographic they are the most capable of reaching are people living in the 70s and 80s. You know, and I don't mean people that grew up in the 70s and 80s, like me. You know, I mean people who are actually living there. That the majority of those churches out there that are closing, they're capable of reaching people that are living in the 70s and 80s, but nobody lives there anymore, right? Nobody lives in the 70s or the 80s anymore. Now, so I'm not talking about, yeah, listen. I would love to go back to my home church, you know, that, you know, singing that youth choir, you know, and, uh, you know, and go out to eat at Speedy Gonzalez after church on that Sunday night, you know, pile up in the cars, you know, and like we did three or four cars and head over there. I would love to do that one time. I don't want to move back there. I mean, you and I, we talk about nostalgia and all that and how much we love that. Who wants to live, in, who actually wants to go back and live in the 70s, you know? I, I mean, we talk about that now. There, there are some things, it's, don't get me wrong. The 70s were awesome because they were mine, you know? <laughs> I know some of you say, no, not that. Let me, let, me, let me remind you how awesome the 70s were, okay? Music came in vinyl, cassette, and eight track, you know, whatever you wanted. You know, whatever you had in your house, whatever you had in your car, you know, you get it all. I actually had cassette and eight track in one of my cars for one time, you know. It came in all those things. Or, or how about this one? School lunches had a flexible definition of healthy. <laughs> yeah, we didn't care about that stuff, <laughs> you know. <laughs> all that pizza, right? 
that pizza, amen, thank you, David, or, or this playing outdoors. Y'all remember playing outdoors? You ought to take your kids out and enjoy it sometime. Man, we had a beautiful day yesterday. Got to have another beautiful one this afternoon, you know, playing outdoors. But, but here's another one that goes along with that. Riding your bike didn't require extra equipment. <laughs> no knee pads, shoulder pads, and head pad, right? I mean, you just got on your bike and took off. Uh, here's another one. Family TV. You know, now there's two things here. One of them is family TV. You could actually sit with your family and watch TV. You know, the other thing was it was by appointment only. There were no DVRs. You know, you, you didn't stream anything. I mean, it was streaming while it was going. You better catch it while it, I mean, families made appointments to be together at 7 p.m. to watch the show because it wasn't coming on later. And, you know, and, and you didn't know if or when reruns might come on of that particular show. So you made sure that you caught it. Uh, and Saturday morning cartoons and Schoolhouse Rock. Conjunction, junction. What? Y'all remember that? Yeah. I mean, they're awesome. Okay, let me, let me throw these last ones up here. Video arcades. Star Wars, right? Y'all forgot that? Star Wars was that, that, that was my time, right? Bell bottoms, tie-dye, and military surplus clothing. I remember shopping in the military surplus stores and then also the music. And if y'all disagree with me, y'all just come right along with me for a little while and I'll introduce y'all to some real music, okay, uh, if you just want to know. But 70s weren't just an awesome time for us growing up. It was also an awesome time for the church. It was. I mean, the church really kind of came in a heyday in the 70s and 80s. We came into a little heyday of our own. I mean, uh, one of the things, one of the big things that happened, I remember when this happened, okay? Yeah, I'm that old. I remember when this happened as a kid and uh, the Jesus movement coming into my church, you know? And this was... Uh, one of the things we learned in the Jesus movement is we learned how to clap on the upbeat. You know what that means? If you don't, then I, I probably can't explain it to you anyway. But you can ask me after church. You know, we, we, we clap on it here. But you may think that's not a big deal. Let me tell you, it was a big deal back in the early 70s for all those people that have been clapping on the downbeat all that time. Now we've got to learn how to... <laughs> had to learn how to clap on that upbeat, you know. And uh, it was mostly us white people. I mean, you know... You know uh, we kind of, I think we co-opted a lot of that, you know, the coolness that we brought in. But the contemporary Christian music, Barry McGuire, second chapter of Acts, Larry Norman, you know. I, I, I'm, getting some, I'm getting some quiet amens out there, you know, some nods, a little hand back, going up back there, <laughs> praising Jesus for the contemporary Christian music. You know, it's like we rested it away from our, from our, our parents for, uh, had had it for so long, right? We had our own, and uh, I remember when drums came into the church. Yeah, I remember when drums came into the church, and that was a big deal too. And bass guitars, and, you know, and all, all these things happen. And in a lot of ways, we've never left the 70s. You know, see, here's, bring up the next slide. Let me read this, say it quickly. It's not necessarily what happened or what efforts were attempted, but the mindset which had the goal of keeping us interested in church. Initially, keeping those of us of my age and my generation, trying to either get them interested in church or keep them interested in church. But then that also, it just kind of filtered down. I mean, you know, I was, I was a preteen, you know, when the 70s hit, you know. And, and, and so, so, but then it kind of stuck with us, uh, trying to keep us interested in church. Well, that just kind of grew older, you know, the way it, we would work to keep 
people interested in church. It just kind of grew older, you know. We didn't have Striper anymore. Y'all just need to Google that one and see what that is. With a Y, okay? Striper with a Y. We, we didn't have those things, but we had other things to keep us interested in church. But here's the problem. Did y'all know there was a problem coming? <laughs> Could y'all sense that? <laughs> it's where we were headed with this. Here's the problem. is because it, it became about keeping us interested in church. And you know, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing, right? There is no garden out there, no matter, no matter how good the gardener is, there is no garden out there that is not safe from weeds or that is safe from weeds. And the problem comes when, when we start having weeds and we just say, oh, it's just easier to keep the weeds, <laughs> right? You know, we don't do that, do we? Let me tell you, I'm doing that right now. Last summer, not the one we just came out of, but last summer, I had grass in my front yard and my side yard, a little bit in my back, and army worms showed up. I mean, they, they marched in before I even knew they were there. They killed everything I had. They killed weeds. They killed grass. They killed everything I had. Thankfully, I didn't spring for the, the sod. You know, I just did the seeding part, you know. So now I'm trying to get green in my yard. I don't even care. Crab grass, come on. Uh, you know, old rye grass, I don't care. You know, behind, I, whatever you got, you know, I just want green, you know. Then I messed it up again a couple of weeks ago. We're doing some work there. But, I mean, I don't even care. I just want, and that's what we do. If we're not careful, we just want green. If we're not careful, we just want people in seats instead of wanting people to actually connect with what it is they're supposed to connect with. You see, if we're not careful, we will take this. This was the beginning of the seeker movement, in case you ever wondered. In the 70s is when we started thinking about how do we make people want to be in church? And if we're not careful, where does that go? It becomes all about us. Well, I don't like this anymore. It's, you know what's really interesting to me? Um, this, was, this was about a seven-minute intro to my sermon, <laughs> but it, we, we've gone a lot further than that already. But you know one thing that's interesting to me? It's interesting to me how people... We'll leave a church and they'll come to a church like 29. We've had this happen, I can't tell you how many times. And people come in and say, I like this. There is life here. Man, people, people like each other, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You know, and they're here for a little while and then they say, Pastor, you, you, you ever think about singing that old song? Da 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 da, you know, whatever that really is. Pastor, you know what we did at my last church? You know, and I'm like, you don't even like your last church. Why did you come over here and want to bring that? You came over here because you wanted something different. And then you start saying, Pastor, did you, did you, can we do so? Have you ever thought about it? Yeah, I thought about it. Back in 1975, I thought about it. We did it a whole lot, you know. I remember, I remember the, the one that sticks out to my mind I was, mostly is when we were in our first little building, you know, that held about 100 people or so, you know, something like that, and had a lady that came in first service. Uh, and after service, she asked me, she said, are y'all ever going to have an organ you know, and normally my answer when anybody asks, "Are we going to have an organ or a choir or anything like that?" I say, "You see our stage? We ain't got room for an organ and a choir and stuff like that." You know, and and I, and I just I, I told her where there was an organ, a Hammond B3 with Leslie Speaker playing. You know, I've thrown that one in a lot of times. You know, so, but I told her that. You know, and, and sent her on because that wasn't it. And how how we just keep reaching back. You see, none of us want to live in the 70s. We don't want to go back there. We do not want to live in the 70s anymore. But there's something about us because we look back and we see the church having this heyday where we were building these big buildings and people were just showing up. But what was happening, 
what was also happening is we were losing that evangelistic fervor of somebody else needs to hear about Jesus. Because we just build this nicer and bigger and whatever. People will show up, we can tell them about Jesus. And we became building-centric instead of people-centric. So we need to get back to something. We, 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 we need some direction here. Because it, it's time for us to put the 70s church to rest. Because it's the 70s. That, it's that 70s church that's got us continuing to do what we've always done and expecting a different result. And what is that? That's, in, that's the definition of insanity. And we just keep on and keep on doing. So, so what's our plumb line? What's, what's our yardstick? What is, what is the measurement that helps us know what, what, do we, where do we, what are we supposed to get back to? Because that's what we do. When we start to lose our way, what do we do? We say, well, just, just go back to your roots. You know, go back to the basics. And our roots and our basics are found in the book of Acts. You know, I, I, I mean, if we're going to go back, let's go back to that first church, those first Christians, the first century church, the one that was birthed on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, because those people, they are our roots. That's where we came from. And they always focused on the basics because that's all they had. You know, they didn't have um, all the other stuff that we have added to it. They didn't, they didn't have the opportunity to say, let's make this about me. <laughs> Can we sing my song today? Can we do it this way? They didn't have that. So let's go back and look at that. So, 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 here, so here's what we get is we've gotten to. And I, you knew a few moments ago there was a butt, a butt coming, right? You know, and here, here's several butts we're going to throw at you this morning, okay? Is church has become, for us, a matter of convenience. And, and it is. I mean, can anyone argue? We live in a day of convenience. And I'm not just talking about microwave stuff and all that. I mean, most of you grew up and there was a microwave in your house when you were brought home from the hospital. You know, so that's the way m most of you were. And so we, we live, I'm, I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about everything in our life. If it's not convenient, we don't do it. If somebody invites us to something, we, we kind of give them a, a tentative like we might be there just in case something better doesn't come along. Amen? I mean, we do that. But you know that early church I was talking about just a moment ago? Those first Christians, they had a faith to die for. They had a faith to live for and to die for. Uh, Dean Kelly, who, uh, a, Christian, uh, a Christian author from back in the 70s, he, he, called, it, um, he called it like large-scale meaning. He said, you know, these, these people in the early church, the, the first century, they, they had large-scale meaning. Like you, you and I, we have small-scale meaning. And now this is going to sound bad until you get it, but hang on to it until you get it, okay? Is that you and I, we... We, we see someone that is homeless, and we want to feed them. That's a good thing. But let me ask you, would you give your life up so the homeless person could have breakfast tomorrow morning? No, that would be stupid, right? It would be stupid for you to die so they could eat one meal. Okay, we know, we know that. That's what he's talking about here. These people didn't have a, a meaning for a day. They had a meaning for eternity, a meaning for a life. They had a faith that enabled them to face suffering and even death with confidence and hope, knowing they have purpose beyond themselves. That's what they had. That is, that is, that is this, this, uh, this ideal that, that, that they had in their heart that drove them. I mean, this is something that, you know, not only would they die for Christ, they would live for Christ. 
which is greater? You ever, you ever ask yourself that question? Would it be greater to die for Christ or live for Christ? And we, I, we all think dying for Christ, but, right? But you know what? You can only die for Jesus one time. <laughs> and at the end, <laughs> you know? So it's not like, hey, what else are you giving up? <laughs> you know, in a way. You're dying at the end. But when you live for Christ, you don't do that occasionally. Listen, you don't live for Christ occasionally. If you do something for Jesus today and you don't do anything for him for two or three more months, you're not living for Christ. You're sharing with Christ. You, you know, you're giving him a little something. But when you live for Christ, you set yourself aside every single day and you say, what do you want me to do today? Who can I touch today? How can I help someone today, Jesus? What is that truth that I need to be standing for today? Not what do I want to put on social media. Not what I want to stand on my soapbox and yell and scream, make everybody mad about. What truth is it that you want me to stand for today? You know, Bill Hybels, um, great quote. I, I've, I've used this before, but it's been a while, so you need to hear it again. I would never want to reach out someday with a soft, uncalloused hand, a hand never dirtied by serving, and shake the nail-pierced hand of Jesus. Think about that, living for him. That, that, those first Christians had a faith worth living for. Let me apologize, repent, however I need to say it. But God, forgive me if as a pastor, I have not presented you with a Jesus worth living for. If I have made this an easy, convenient Christianity that you just do when you feel like it and as you feel like and all that good and then God forgive me because there is a Jesus worth living for and I want to make sure that from this point forward at least that we're not living in a 70s we're not going to a, not a 70s church but did you understand there is a Jesus worth living for? Okay, let me hurry on because this next one kind of filters right off that. Is Christians have become cynical. You know, that's what happens when you start focusing on yourself. You think, you know, you're all that in a bag of chips, you know, all that kind of, you know, you, you're, you're just, I mean, you're the standard that everybody else is supposed to measure up to because nobody, you know, does, and so we get cynical, right? I started to go, and I'll go ahead and say it. Nobody works as hard as I do. Nobody gives as much as I do. Nobody sweats as much as I Nobody's praying as hard as I I mean, that's the whole Mary and Martha thing, right? Y'all know Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters? And Martha, you know, she was busy, you know, fixing everything, and she just got upset because Mary was sitting in there by Jesus. And she said, Jesus, tell her to get in here to help me in the kitchen. Now, that's, that's not the King James version of that, okay? Now, she, said, she, you know, she said that, and so she was like, no, Mary does not work as hard as me. But now Mary, she might have been sitting there thinking, you know, here I am worshiping Jesus and, and Martha's in there in the kitchen. And Martha never worships like I worship. And you know, we can become cynical about one another. Fact of the matter is, is you never know. You never know when maybe Mary was uh, up here late last night sitting up, setting up chairs and sweeping and mopping because you know what? It had to be done last night. There was, there, was, there was a Mary in here last night that was setting up chairs and sweeping and, and ready to do it by themselves. You know, or, or you never know about, that Martha, you think, never worships 
But you never know what she's like when she's driving down the interstate and she's got her praise music on and tears are flowing. You don't know. You don't know. Now, can I, I, let me tell you something. There was, there was parts of pastoring when I was a kid pastor. I mean, like, you know, when I first got started. There were parts of that that was so much easier, you know, because I didn't have to read all of your thoughts on social media every week and figure out how in the world I'm going to preach about that this Sunday. <laughs> but some of it's a lot easier today because really, you know, all I can do, I, all I have to do is open up, open up Facebook. I got all the material I need to preach for a long time, right? But you know what it causes me to do? And I'll get a, a little bit more confession here today from your pastor. I have to confess. You know, I said something about three weeks ago, I think it was, in a sermon. I talked about having a mid-ministry crisis. Some of y'all were re really worried about me. Listen, I'm not buying a Corvette, not leaving David, not leaving my church, all that kind of stuff. Okay, I just want you to know, I'm having a mid-ministry crisis because I, I'm struggling with the way Christ's church is following and what my role is supposed to be in this, of how to help. And, you know, and I, and I look and I see and I hear the things being said and done and all this. And cynicism is growing inside of me. So I, I, I've gone to Scripture, and I know the one Scripture that the early church knew is 1 Corinthians 13 to 7 about believing the best. But there's another one I believe that God brought me to, and it's here. And I'm going to skip that one real quick because i got to hurry. It's, it's for Romans 14, 23. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Okay, now how does that rely to being cynical? Or how does that refer, I'm sorry, to being cynical? How does that refer to being cynical? Well, whatever is not of faith is sin. When we are cynical, when you are cynical, when you point your finger and say, well, they aren't what I am about whatever it is, and we begin to be cynical, then we start to say, you know, all that junk that they, you know, they spread all over social media and all that kind of stuff all, all, all the things you know the excuses that people give for you know all of that stuff and we begin to be cynical about that then we're saying you know they're already done god can't god can't even help them i mean that's what that's the attitude we're getting doubt begins to creep in that these people have already lost out god you have to give me another church so these people ain't following you like i think they should man there are, there are pastors like that and i and i believe there are a lot of them that are are quit, I mean, a lot of them are quitting today, and I believe that's the reason a lot of them are quitting, because that's what they're doing. They've got this Elijah complex of like, hey, there ain't nobody else but me. I'm the only one following you anymore. You know, and, and God, you're just going to have, you know, kill all them. Start over with me, God. Let me plant a new church, because God ain't nobody following you. And I, I got to tell you, sometimes I, I get cynical about where it is, but let me tell you, that's the opposite of faith. And anything that is not of faith is of sin. It's of doubt. It's creeping in and it's trying to get you to focus on everything except what you're supposed to focus on. But here's what faith does. Faith believes God can reach the deepest need, change the most arrogant mind, and soften the hardest heart. That's what, that's what faith believes. Faith believes that. And so faith, you know, and, and sometimes it's hard in times that we've just been coming through with COVID and all the stuff and the upheaval in the church and, 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 and I meant struggles in the church and ministers that are failing and all these things happening and it's hard for us to, but faith believes that God can still do anything and it is my prayer it is my prayer that we see one another again that we stop seeing our failures and we see one another again like Jesus saw us so let me go on to this next one is, is that we've become both connected and disconnected from the world we live in isn't that crazy we are we are more connected you know, during COVID, 
I ran across this, uh, I, I don't know where I found it, I ran across this website. It's something like Windows to the World, that's not what it's called or something. <laughs> but you just open your browser and you just click refresh, and what people do is they set up a camera, their, their, you know, their smartphone or whatever, and they record just a little clip of their window, and you can see what they see. And you see birds flying by, you know, you see the wind blowing, you, some people you see snow, some, and you see all these things. And, and I just sat there one day and I just clicked and clicked, you know, and it said the city that they were in. Uh, you know, I just clicked and clicked and just watched that. It's just, man, this is so cool. How connected I am. <laughs> and I was just fooling myself. I wasn't connecting to anybody. I was seeing some pic- I was video, but I was seeing some pictures. And we get more and more connected, yet more and more disconnected. I mean, what did we do with COVID? We shut down. We stayed home. Some of you liked it, didn't you? You know? And we disconnected. And, and if we did need each other, well, we only needed about this much of you, one ninth of, of, a, of a computer screen, right? You know? I mean, some of you didn't even, do, didn't even change out your pajamas, you know, before, so you could go to work that day, you know, just on, enough from here up, you know, on the screen, right? And if we need each other, we only needed that much of one another. Oh, but, but, I, but I was going to the store. Yeah, you were going to the store, and you were parking in that parking space. Yeah basically honking your horn in kind of a new age way, you know, and somebody came out and they stuck your groceries in the trunk of your car and you drove off, right? And we don't need each other hardly anymore. Bring me that next one. It's been said of the first Christians, no one was satisfied with too much so long as anyone had too little. You know, Haggai, and that's one of the Old Testament prophets, he took Israel to task over what he, what he, he used the term sealed or paneled houses. He took them to task for living in their paneled houses and using the excuse of time to not do God's will. Whoa. Can we relate that to today? Living in our paneled houses and using the excuse of time to not do God's will. Whew. Man. That first church, they sold houses, they sold lands, they sold. They found out somebody was hurting, and they sold it and just brought the money. And let's let's minister to people. I mean, yeah, people are hurting. It's time to reengage, church. Listen, it's time to re. If you are a child of God, quit claiming it and be it. It is time to re-engage with the people that are around us. Oh, I, I, I need to hurry. Bring that. For the first Christians, it was not enough to attend a church that ministers. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hey, the church I go to, you wouldn't believe what they did last week. I, I, I wasn't there, but you wouldn't believe what they did. You wouldn't believe we just raised money. My church, we just raised money. I, I, I didn't give, but you wouldn't believe what my church raised money. It wasn't enough for that first church to attend those first Christians to attend a church of ministers, they had to be involved in the ministry, serving. It wasn't enough to say, man, my church serves the community. They had to be involved in the serving or, or, or missions. And, and, and listen, I'm, a little plug right here for our two Christmas projects. The uh, uh, Royal Chicks are ramping up their fundraising for local kids that we're, that we're going to provide Christmas for this year, and then also we're going to do the Kentucky Christmas Blessing in November as well, at the end of November, so go ahead and start making your plans. If you find a bicycle on sale, buy it. Pick it up right now, okay? And let me tell you where, where they're going. They're going to Whitesburg, Kentucky this year, 
those kids, many of them have lost every single toy they had because of the floods this year. That's why they're going to Whitesburg, okay? So we're doing that. This is, this is, this is what the, the, the first Christians were involved in. And they didn't just say, you won't believe what my church did. They said, no. They could say, you won't believe what I was a part of. Or, or sleeves and wallets. Y'all know what sleeves and wallets means? Rolling them up and pulling them out. They were part of all those things. Not just saying, they were a part of all those things. And meeting regularly. Now, I want to do about a 10-minute commercial right here. I'm not going to, but I really want to. About grow groups. Because I want you to understand, you know, we, we've got this attitude because we've got a 1970s church attitude that grow, grow groups, small groups, meetups, you know, whatever, classes or whatever, that they exist for me, you know? That's what 1970s church was all about, right? Keeping me interested. And we need to have grow groups because I need them. And then if I don't need one this week, I'll just do something else, right? And we just, and we just need them for me. But that's not, that's not what these people, these people saw the importance of meeting together regularly. Not because they needed it, but because somebody else, need, somebody else needs me to be around them. I've been praying this week, and I believe God has anointed me to help somebody. somebody he's anointed me. He, he's reminded me of a scripture back in the Old Testament of, of something that will challenge. He reminded me of something I once heard one of the disciples of Jesus say. This is the way they looked at it is, is I've got to be a part of this. And listen, I, I want us to divorce ourselves. Can we do this, please, 2911? Can we divorce ourselves from this attitude that the things we do, we do because I need them. Therefore, I only do them when I need them. And we come to realize we are not the church for us anymore. Uh, we say this. You'll hear this at 101, I hope. We try to say this every, every, every time, every month at 101. But that until, until you became a Christian, it was all about you. Jesus died for you. The blood was ready there for you. Forgiveness was there for you. It was all about you. But once you become a Christian, it's not about you anymore. It's about somebody else that needs to know Jesus Christ. And so can we stop saying that grow groups are for us and stop thinking that and, and everything else that the church does is so that, that we can have the ministry to us. And we, can we divorce ourselves from that thought and let's grasp the reality is that we are the church. The church is not something that is here for me. I am here to be the church for somebody else. And that is everybody in this room, not just the people who stand on this stage and preach a sermon. Oh, I need to hurry. Let me get... I got two more of these. So that's about 15 more minutes, isn't it? We're going to do this quick, all right? We have crafted. I, I, I could have said we have de developed or we have created, but I want to craft it. We've crafted our own hyper-individualistic Christian experience. You know, we, well, that's not what I believe. That's what the Bible says, but that's not what I believe. Well, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> I had a lady look me in the face one day and tell me what God told her. And, you know, and I just kind of looked at her, and I didn't respond, you know. And if she had just kept her mouth shut and walked away, she could have probably walked away happy. But she made me answer her. And when I did, I had to say, that's not what he said in his Bible. You must serve a schizophrenic God telling you something different than he's told everybody else in the world, you know. But that's what we've done. That's what happens in the 1970s culture church that gets out of hand is we start deciding what we believe, what we don't believe. I, I, no, I hadn't been baptized, but I don't really have to be. 
I just told everybody else to be baptized, but not you. I don't have to give. You know, giving is what people, you know, everybody gives according to their ability. All those things, I don't have to, I don't have, I don't have, and we've created our own hyper-individualistic way to follow Christ. Let me bring you a, a quote from Tim Keller. I don't know if you know Tim Keller or not. He said, liberal mainline churches. Now, before you get all bent out of shape, let me tell you who Tim Keller is. A pastor of a mainline church, okay? All right, so don't get mad at me. He said it, all right? And he's not, he's, don't get mad at him. He said it about his head. He said, liberal mainline churches adapted heavily to modern secular thought. They rejected the concept of miracles. They rejected the concept of being born again by the Spirit of Jesus, uh, by the Spirit. They rejected the concept of Jesus' bodily resurrection. They rejected the concept of a trustworthy Bible. They adopted marks of a weakening community that cannot coalesce powerfully around a life of shared faith, meaning forgiveness, love, and spiritual growth in God. What he's saying is, we had it, but we pushed aside. I don't need that anymore. And so now we're no longer able to coalesce. We're no able to come together as a strong, powerful army of God to, to do and see all these things happen in and through our lives. That's what he's saying. And you know what? We're, we've done it individually also. Not, not just had those churches done it individually. We're doing the same thing. And we're losing the power, the identity, and the very essence of God in our lives. Because we say, do you really believe that? Or I'd say, well, I believe, you know, but I, I, I just don't dwell on that. And, 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 and we don't. But you know what? Those first Christians, they believe, they had this attitude that Simon Peter had. And Jesus said, you're going to lead me too? And Simon Peter said, where will we go? You have the words of life. And so they didn't, the, 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 those first Christians didn't have to go find some truth and bring it in. They didn't have to figure out what their truth was and say, now what do I believe, you know, that lines up, you know, Jesus and me and all. No, no, they found their truth in Jesus Christ. You have the words of life. Thanks for listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a need, we would love to pray with you. You can connect with our prayer team by emailing prayer at church2911.com or by texting 205-476-2911. You can learn more about our church by visiting us online at church2911.com and by connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram at church2911. We hope this message has encouraged you and reminded you that God loves you and has an amazing dream for your life. As always, we dare you to dream.